Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. We are going to go over a lot of things today. Uh, We have articles on the old Ministry of Truth. Uh, Those of you familiar with George Orwell's 1984 will appreciate that article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I see that the parlor CEO has been fired. He has a little bit different take on that firing than... um, some of the shareholders of Parler. Uh, AOC has um, quite the interesting version of what happened to her on January 6th. Um, and all of those things, what they have in common are the truth, um, the dissemination of the truth, who's disseminating the truth, um, who's telling the truth. Who do you believe? Who do I believe? That's why on this program, we always put the needle back on the beginning of the record. And we say, if you are a born again believer and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he will guide you. He will help you. He will tell you what is true and what is not true. So, um, imperative to, uh, to call on the Holy Spirit. If you are indeed a believer Um, to get to the bottom of the truth uh, in this day and age where we have uh, proposed ministers of truth and um, people look to the government for their truth and it's just look to certain news outlets for their truth and we just, it's very confusing. And if we do not have the Holy Spirit to ground us, we are going to be led astray. Other things we're going to talk about today, I saw an interesting article about a Democratic congresswoman who feels very alienated by her party. She is the oldest um, sitting female uh, Democratic congressperson in the country, and she is in, um, I think it's Ohio, and she laments that her party just cannot relate to her in any way, shape, matter, or form, and that is sadly the very fascinating shift that we see here that the Republican party at warp speed, thanks to Donald Trump largely, um, is becoming the party of the, uh, working class, the middle class, the uh, folks that do not have four year degrees from college people in quote unquote flyover country. Um, people that were here to four union Democrats, um, various minority groups, Hispanics, blacks, um, and conversely, uh, the Democrat party is continuing this march of being the party of rich people and woke people and people of, um, non-color and people that are highly educated who have disdain for people that may not be as educated, whatever that means. So it is a very interesting dynamic while Democrats continue to demagogue and beat that drum that Republicans are for the rich and we're for the little guy. Um, the numbers and Donald Trump has those numbers on his side, uh, do not bear that out. And, uh, we will dissect her article. Very interesting article, um, article on Ron DeSantis, a uh, big favorite of mine comparing and contrasting the great job he has done in Florida 
under very difficult circumstances. It would be very easy in a pandemic world to cherry pick and criticize Ron DeSantis for this or that or the other, but these are uncharted waters, ladies and gentlemen, and his record uh, on trying to to govern in a state where this pandemic is uh, is wreaking havoc as it is in uh, all states, uh, comparing and contrasting his record and uh, his accomplishments to that of Mario Cuomo up in New York. It, there is no comparison. So um, we will discuss that. I, I see that the Bank of America um, is collecting data on individuals who traveled to Washington on January the 6th. Uh, we quoted uh, or alluded to George Orwell earlier in the monologue here. And uh, if, if that is not Orwellian, I do not know what is. So that is horrible. But um, as we do many times on this show, let us, uh, let us start with uh, scripture. Maybe give us a little bit of perspective during these very tumultuous times. Um, I'm reading this out of my book, Reshaping America. It was in a uh, chapter on social justice, and um, it was uh, inserted into that chapter simply because I was alluding to people like Hillary Clinton, who at the time was courting faith-based voters, and it uh, it says here that um, she's organized a Faith Voters for Hillary website, which highlights how she would serve religious communities as president. Now, um, no doubt, uh, and I'm sure that website is obviously since defunct, but at the time, Mrs. Clinton was probably um, touting how she would serve uh, faith-based communities, religious communities. But the pink elephant in the room is, I don't know how you create a Faith Voters for Hillary website touting, you know, uh, your advocacy for religious voters and whatever, uh, causes or, or ideals they may have, and then have an abysmal record, uh, both personally and publicly in the form of being a legislator, um, on many of the top issues of the day that are in direct conflict with the word of God, um, abortion probably being the top of the list. So I went on to say the apostle Paul has, has some sound advice for any Christian who may be wooed by a candidate. Uh, and this goes to, um, a media outlet as well, whose words and deeds might not jibe when um, he warns Christians in Romans 16, 17 through 20, I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. If there were ever verses um, that give sound warning to um, many folks out there, none the least of which are, are social justice leftists or naive Christians who 
are swayed by smooth talk and um, just have put themselves in a position not to learn, not to listen, not to deduce, not to think about um, uh, same-sex marriage or homosexuality or um, abortion or many of the things that the candidates that they are pulling the trigger for um, stand for, um, but to simply kind of overlook that and be um, drunk by uh, and wooed by the power of the smooth talking um, men and women who happen to be politicians, either Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter, that, that seem to just be so conciliatory, so reach across the aisle, so compromising, so wonderful. Um, Paul warns us not to be fooled by individuals like that. And um, to me, it doesn't take much research on who someone is and what they're all about or who a party is and what they are all about. Uh, You just simply go to where their platforms are and what they stand for. But as easy as that may seem to me, it's very elusive to a lot of people. And we have to try to understand why. Um, and sometimes people go into situations with their eyes wide shut. They, they purposely do not want to hear or see the truth before them. And they have made their mind up um, to the detriment of themselves, their family, or the country. But Paul warns us not to be wooed by these slick-talking, smooth-talking individuals. And we have um, many, many individuals that fit into that category today. Um, Many reside on the Democrat side of the aisle, but um, an ever-growing number of them are on the uh, Republican side of the aisle as well. So um, Paul warns us to be mindful and what is the best way, ladies and gentlemen, to be mindful of that, to check everything against the rule book? What is the rule book? If you are a born again Christian, that rule book is the Holy Bible. It is scripture. Scripture will tell you uh, where to stand, what to think, who to support, who to vote for, who to send money to, um, who to defend, um, in the public square, it will tell you very clearly if you only avail yourself to the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, But oftentimes we do not do that. We go into situations, as I said, with eyes wide shut. We blunt the Holy Spirit who is trying to talk to us perpetually, continually, if we are born again Christians. And he is warning us not to do this with bells and whistles and flashing lights. And if we wade into these uh, areas where we vote for certain people, support certain people with our hard-earned money, defend certain people in debates and discussions with our fellow, uh, you know, neighbors in the community, but we are keeping the word of God Um, and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we're stiff arming him, if you will, and keeping him at bay. This is not good. We are falling prey to, um, what Paul tells us not to do, which is, uh, fall prey to smooth, slick, um, packaging 
and smooth, slick talking politicians or news outlets or uh, ministers of truth here who seem to have the market on the truth, but they do not. So Paul warns us not to do that. And um, leads me to my first article here, which is liberalism's ministry of truth. This is out of the Wall Street Journal, um, an entity that at one point in time, several years ago, was certainly a conservative entity. It is not, in my opinion. Now, this is their um, opinion page, which could have anything from a very left-leaning opinion to a very right-leaning opinion. Uh, but the paper itself as an entity has um, has gone very left um in the last 10 years. So this article says the academic establishment and progressive press wants you to know two things. First, conservative claims of social media bias are bogus. As Silicon Valley firms police, uh, police content, their decisions are miraculously wholly uninfluenced by ideological preference. Now, hopefully most of us uh, know that but a lot of us don't. And um, they are the people in the category of apolitical. Um, they're kind of uh, apathetic to all these uh, squabbles. They just want to work and take care of their family. And, and that's, that's very understandable. But um, they are the targets of big tech, big media, who want to foist their brand of truth down the... Uh, down the mouth or the ears or the eyes or whatever of um, unsuspecting un individuals. Um, second, there is an urgent need for a much wider crackdown on political speech, perhaps led by the Biden administration and requiring the creation of a new government agency. In other words, all that conservative suppression that's er, not happening, we need more of it. So um, New York University's Stern Center for Business and Human Rights released a brief this week that is being amplified in the press entitled False Accusation, the Unfounded Claim that Social Media Companies Censor Conservatives. It argues that some conservatives believe that their content is suppressed on partisan grounds when in fact it's being singled out because it violates neutral platform rules. Um, that's a joke, and many of you know that. But those of you that don't know that, let me let me explain how that game is played. Um, when it says um, conservatives are not being targeted, in fact, they're just being singled out because they violate neutral platform rules. Um, if all things were equal, let's just go back to an era where ABC, CBS, NBC, the six o'clock news at night purported to be objective and cable news was kind of a new thing in the early nineties. And then Fox just bang came onto the scene and was perceived by everybody to be like Attila the Hun, right? Well, there's a reason that Fox at the time was perceived to be Attila the Hun, right? Um, certainly in the last 15 years, they have not been, but let's just go back to the 90s. One of the reasons that Fox was be uh, was to be perceived as a, as a very biased right-wing entity is because um, 
the the quote unquote mainstream media, the neutral media, the down the middle media, the just just the facts, ma'am, media was not in the center where they should have been. They were far to the left. So anything that would be approximating um, a, a position on the ideological continuum that is to the right of the mainstream media, of course, would be perceived as a very, very right-leaning entity. Do you understand how the game is played, ladies and gentlemen? If if you purport, as the big three used to, that we're objective, we're down the middle, we're not biased, when in reality, you're far to the left on the ideological continuum, everything after that's going to look crazy to the right. And that's the game they play. So... Just because technology has changed in the last 25 years does not mean that the same premise, the same game is not being played by big tech. They, to this day, go back to the tried and true premise that worked 25 years ago. We're objective. And if you put out anything that is mildly to the right of that, you're an extremist, you're a militia backer, you're an insurrectionist, you get the drift of what I'm trying to say. So when you start out with the false premise that you're objective, everything to the right of that ideology looks like it's crazy Attila the Hun, right? So we're clear on that. So this is where we go. Back to the article. That is sometimes true, but the report doesn't remotely prove that it always is. What about when Twitter and Facebook try to suppress a New York Post story about Hunter Biden before 2020 election? Even the report concedes that the question of whether whether social media companies harbor an anti-conservative bias cannot be answered conclusively. That doesn't stop authors from unabashedly asserting that the claim of anti-conservative animus itself is a form of disinformation. It is perpetuated partly because it appeals to the same conspiratorial mindset that has fostered the QAnon movement. Now, let us stop there. Um, And as much as things change, particularly technologically, they stay the same in the early nineties. This is some 30 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, Clarence Thomas asserted that one of the, um, tried and true tricks, if you will, of the left was to very quickly label an opponent. Um, let's just say at the time, Clarence Thomas, who was conservative, label him, whatever you want to label him, put him in a box, it becomes much easier to dispatch someone when you put them in a box, uh, a box of which you title, like he is a blank, 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 whatever, or even um, better for the left, if you associate that person with other people who are truly crazy, uh, yes, I said the C word, or they are truly in a fringe group, Um, if you associate that person with those people, either rightly or wrongly, let's just say wrongly, then it becomes much easier to dispatch that person and that person's thought. Um, and Clarence Thomas asserted that that was going on 30 years ago. He was correct and it still goes on. So when the left 
says things like QAnon, militia, insurrection, things of that nature. Um, what they tend to do is they know that those are inflammatory um, terms. They tar and feather and put all the rest of you individuals, the, the vast majority of people that were um, pro, um, you know, peacefully protesting at the Capitol on January 6th, and they tar and feather them with these inflammatory terms in order to silence them. Um, that is a technique that has been done uh, for a uh, hundred years and it is still going on. So the article continues, got it. Anyone who argues social media moderation has a progressive slant is spreading disinformation and possibly drawn to a bizarre cult. And remember that disinformation is against the rules, which once again are neutral. Again, um, not to belabor the point. When you say you are a neutral entity, either Walter Cronkite in the 70s or uh, Facebook or Twitter in the year 2020, anything to the right of that looks crazy. And if somebody points out, hey, you're not in the center, you're not objective, you're not down the middle, you have an agenda, then that minor discontent that you have articulated now becomes hyperbolic hate speech. It's crazy and you must be silenced. Do you understand how chilling this is, ladies and gentlemen? It's terrible. So um, among the solutions of the non-problem of progressive bias is naturally government control. The NYU report recommends that the federal government press Facebook, Google, and Twitter to improve content policies and cooperate with these companies on enforcement. This political suppression or neutral government-backed content policy could be enforced by a new digital regulatory agency. Um, again, I'm starting and stopping to make a point here. As much as things change, they stay the same. A new regulatory agency is no different than what Ronald Reagan fought against in the late 80s, the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine was um, the government was tired of being criticized. Liberals that like big government were tired of being criticized in this crazy free speech America that we live in. So they tried to legislate um, or bring back a um, uh, law that says every radio station had to have equal time. If there was a conservative on from nine to 12, then there had to be opposing view at 12 to three. This is absolute nonsense. Um, and it wasn't done for fairness. It was done to um, suppress free thought. Um, if, if, if people want to turn away, and this is way before podcasts and digital media and, and the internet, this, this is, this is when people, uh, just turned the radio on. And if they didn't like what they hear, they turned it off. And if the radio's off, the, um, the sponsors of that radio, uh, program or that station at large would, would not. Uh, be able to sell their goods and services. So um, naturally, uh, what was popular, uh, what was uh, 
in the category of things people like to listen to happened to be conservative radio. Um, Rush Limbaugh brought that to a whole new level. Before Rush Limbaugh, there were 125 talkers in the United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. That's not a lot. In a couple years after Rush Limbaugh splashed onto the scene, there were over uh, 4,200 talkers in a very, very short period of time. And this is all before the internet podcasts. Um, These were just radio stations in America. Um, So it was the answer to a monopoly that was on television at the time. Um, And so liberals dominated uh, big entertainment and television and uh, conservatives historically have dominated radio. And so let the people have what they want. But the fairness doctrine says No, people are too stupid to understand that they're being fed propaganda from the right. So we are going to force private entities who, albeit are regulated by the uh, federal government, um, um, the FCC, but um, they they are being, at the time, we're, we're going to be forced to put on liberal broadcasting and and that did not work and ronald reagan fought against that but this is just a new branding and a new packaging of an old concept and it when you cannot compete in the arena of ideas you have to silence your opponents because the truthful dissemination or at least the dissemination in general and we'll let the average person decide if it's true or not, um, is something to be feared if you are a statist or a big government person. So this digital regulatory agency is going to be, if it comes to fruition, uh, do you think in your wildest imagination, it's going to be populated with individuals that um, think free speech is a good thing? No. They are leftists. They are statists. They they want to wipe the playing field clean of any opponents to um, their point of view, a point of view that promotes big government and statism. And if your viewpoint happens to be uh, in direct conflict with that, then um, they're not going to um, the fairness. It does take the fairness doctrine to another level. It's not about putting on someone of an opposing view. It's wiping out altogether the first viewpoint. And there's no better way to do that than to deem that rhetoric as hate speech or insurrection or sedition. These are these are words that people use in order to squelch free speech. And you are being done a disservice if you're just an average schlub out there. You're not a, a politico. You don't, you're not a news junkie. You just want the truth. You're at a, a decided disadvantage whether you realize it or not in this era that we are um, now living in. So the article goes on. Since we're devising new entities for speech control, the New York Times offers another idea. Experts recommend that the Biden administration put together a cross-agency task force to tackle disinformation and domestic extremism. Again, um, you define the verbiage, 
you win the war. You put people in boxes, you can dispatch of them. If you call people a domestic extremist, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier to wipe them off the table. So, which would be led by something like a reality czar. And you've heard that term in the news lately, reality czar, the beacon of progressive tolerance. Um, It says when disinformation or at least disinformation that is not useful to the Biden administration spreads, then according to the Times, a centralized task force could coordinate a single strategic response and enlist the tech platforms that could become the tip of the spear for the federal government's response to the reality crisis. Okay, so do you understand how chilling, how Orwellian, how godless this is? Hey, Kurt, what are you talking about? What does God have to do with all this? Um, what is Marxism? Uh, something that AOC and Bernie Sanders promote um, daily. What is at the corner of Marxism? We've said it on this show several times. And, and I will use the words of, of famous Marxists themselves, uh, Leninist, Stalinist. They all know that step one in wiping the playing field is to get rid of a person's God or a person's family. Those are usually and historically the two entities that are unwavering, that people um, cling to for guidance, for hope. Uh, They trust in those entities. They believe in those entities in a chaotic world. And the um, order of business for any statist, Marxist, Stalinist, um, totalitarian, they're all very similar, ladies and gentlemen. Any objective of those uh, entities or people within those entities that are in power or seeking power is to uh, neuter, silence the religious thing and uh, estrange you, if you will, or segregate you from your family. Once those two things are done, where do you turn for um, truth? Your friendly uh, local government and this truth czar or this ministry of truth. Um, And then you are fast down the road uh, to becoming like three quarters of the countries in the the world right now where the um, citizens either know they're being fed propaganda or they have been beaten down so badly um, that they don't even care anymore, or they really think that, you know, their benevolent dictator is um, the be all in the end all uh, as far as truth is concerned. So um, intellectuals, the article concludes here, don't merely want the Biden administration to promote progressive policies flush with power they're now suggesting that government should police the flow of ideas and assume the authority to define reality itself very chilling so bring on the truth commissions and if um and if any political minority group complains that the ministry of truth is biased worry not the realities are can make quick work of such disinformation um the scary thing is, guys, this is happening at warp speed. And um, I'm not throwing rocks 
at the uh, individuals out there who are apolitical. It's just not their cup of tea. They don't like, they're not news junkies. They don't believe, uh, breathe this stuff 24 seven. They're not talk radio junkies or cable TV junkies. Uh, all of which I used to be, and I'm not anymore. So I, I can really relate to people that are not that animal, but the, the problem with those people and many other people, um, who are being duped these days is because this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, is moving at warp speed. Uh, these things used to happen. These things that were really chilling Orwellian, uh, anti-free speech, centralized government type of legislation. These things used to happen slower because, um, there was a respect even by Democrats for the legislative process today. Um, as, as we've all witnessed with Joe Biden, um, writing, uh, executive orders at warp speed, like everybody that was in the know predicted he would, these things are happening without your congressperson, your Senator, anybody, uh, in, in Washington, DC, having the time or power to do anything about it. And that's what's scary. That's what makes this move at warp speed. And when we look up, um, our freedoms are gone. Our free speech uh, is, uh, is a joke. And um, Twitter and Google and Facebook and Joe Biden and the New York Times is going to tell us what to think and what is true. And they're certainly probably more accurately going to tell us what is not true. Um, But it goes even further. They're not only going to not tell us what is true. They are going to wipe you and I off the playing field as far as your platforms are concerned. Um, Which leads me to my next article. Parlor CEO John Mates, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, announces his termination. So Parler, if you will, was um, the answer to some of these liberal platforms. It was uh, it was uh, an entity that was welcomed by people on the right, where they could um, they could uh, freely exchange ideas and opinions without being censored. And lo and behold. Um, Big tech did not like Parler, so um, they embarked on doing something about it. So the article says Parler CEO John Mates announced late Wednesday that he has been terminated as the company's CEO. Mates said that the Parler board on January the 29th decided to terminate his position, adding that he did not participate in the decision. The parlor board is controlled by Rebecca Mercer, the daughter of hedge fund billionaire Robert Mercer. Mates said in a memo obtained by the Epoch Times, I understand that those who now control the company have made some communications to employees and other third parties that have unfortunately created confusion and prompted me to make this public statement over the past few months. I've met constant resistance to my product vision, my strong belief in free speech, and my view of how the parlor site should be managed. For example, I advocated for more product stability and what I believe is a more effective approach to content moderation, Matt's added. Over the past few weeks, I have worked endless hours and fought constant battles to get the parlor site running 
but at this point, the future parlor is no longer in my hands. Mates said that he plans on taking a few weeks off. After that, I'll be looking for new opportunities where my technical acumen, vision, and the causes I am passionate about will be required and respected. Uh, he goes on to thanking the parlor employees, blah, blah, blah. Um, the interesting part of this article is um, Dan Bongino, who is, uh, you can see pretty routinely on Fox. He has his own podcast. Um, he's a conservative media guy. It says Dan Bongino, a conservative media personality and parlor investor, in a Facebook video disputed Mates's version of events surrounding his termination. Let me be crystal clear on this. He, Mates, makes two points that, oh, I was a big advocate for free speech, and it was my vision, and I was a big advocate for product stability. Uh, Mr. Bongino asserts that is not true. That is false, um, referring to Mr. Mates's memo. Um, Bongino said that there were um, two separate visions for the company and that the relationship with Parler and the CEO did not work out because the CEO's vision was not ours. Our vision was crystal clear. He said we needed to get up and fight back some terrible decisions that were made in the past that led to this, uh, that led to getting put down by Amazon and others. It was us, me, and the two other owners that were constantly on the side of this site and um, that this site was going to be a free speech platform or it was going to be nothing at all. Folks, we could have been up after Amazon and Google wiped us out. We could have been up in a week if we just wouldn't have bent the knee and followed all the ridiculous Apple edicts to become a heavy moderation site to the left of Twitter. Bongino noted, that's not what we're going to do. We don't want garbage on our site either. And we took the proper steps to do that, but we were a free speech site and we will remain as such. And that's why it's taken so long to get back up and running. Uh, Bongino concludes here saying that Mates' statement is an outrageous attack on people who have done nothing but work day and night to get this site back up and to fight back against the cancel culture goons and to get kneecapped like this by someone we trusted is a disgrace. So um, for, for some perspective, it says here in early January, Parler was removed from the Apple and Google's app stores due to what the big tech giants allege was a lack of moderation by the parlor um, of violent content posted by its users, a claim that parlor denies. So um, I thought that was an interesting article simply because um, we don't know what the truth is. Uh, but anytime there's an entity such as parlor um, that is going to threaten um, big tech, they will come out with the full force of um, not only uh, big tech and the money behind big tech, but as you uh, heard by the preceding article, the help of the federal government. And um, so entities such as Parler and others are um, going to struggle. And now it seems that they have a struggle within and they've gotten rid of the CEO. And uh, Mr. Bongino uh, 
asserts that the former CEO was someone that I guess wanted to capitulate to the demands that Apple and Google were going to make of um, Parler. And he did not want to do that. But these are growing pains. Um, you cannot keep um, millions and millions and millions of individuals who are uh, pretty clearly to the right of center and respect our Constitution. You cannot keep them silenced. They need to, they will. Um, they will have their voices heard and they will compete in the uh, arena of ideas uh, one way or another. Um, and, and heretofore, before all this election fraud, which has been going on for years, that really um, reached a crescendo in 2020, heretofore, when entities like Parler and other entities um, kind of flex their muscles and 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 the people got behind them. That was a good thing. That um, competition is always good, ladies and gentlemen. It keeps people honest. It keeps people hardworking. It keeps people telling the truth. Competition is good. However, um, the little rub that's not really a little rub in all this is when you have an administration that is hostile to the First Amendment, uh, when you have an administration that wants to squelch free speech because it doesn't like that free speech, and you have an administration that in general disrespects liberty um, and the notion that you and I have the ability to make up our own minds, um, they don't like that because that, that affects their power base. They don't like to be criticized. They don't like people thinking. Um, when you have an administration and a legislative body that's largely Democrat as well on the side of big tech legislating in a manner that is um, squelching free speech, that's a problem. Um, if elections were free and fair, people that are lovers of the Constitution, uh, perhaps they're Republican, maybe they're not. Um, people that are of conservative mindset, let's just uh, say it that way. They oftentimes, when government gets a little too cozy with big business like this, they checkmate them and they send them packing and they defeat them at the ballot box. And that is our last line of defense. Um, if people are being shut down left and right by the fairness doctrine, if they're being shut down left and right uh, by Twitter and Facebook, um, there has always been, up until recency, uh, recently, one um, area where the little people, the big people, the people that are just lovers of freedom and liberty and the Constitution in this country have turned, and it is the ballot box. And if we did not like what we were smelling, an ever-growing centralized government where decisions are being made far away from entities that are in the middle of the country, um, we had an answer to that. It was, it was called vote them out. And oftentimes we did vote them out. But now we're in an era where elections are not free and fair anymore, ladies and gentlemen. So our priority one as conservatives at every level from um, dog catcher all the way up is to work as hard as we can um, particularly in, in the states that you live in to ensure 
that elections are free and fair and free of uh, corruption, chicanery, and, and all of the like. And if that is not cleaned up and there's a massive amount of cleanup that needs to be done in the next two years and particularly in the next four years, it doesn't really matter how many numbers we have, how large, how loud we squawk, um, how uh, disaffected and, and uh, irked we are by uh, big government reality czars and this and that and the other. It doesn't really matter if we go to the ballot box in droves and beat down what we think is um, just not America anymore. It doesn't really matter if the system is rigged and we got to fix that yesterday. Last on the, um, on the area of truth and what is truth and the dissemination of truth is an article um, about uh, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and the article asserts her evidence-free conspiracy mongering. Um, so the article uh, says, are we not fact-checking evidence-free claims anymore with a question mark? And it goes on to say, um, the New York Congresswoman suggested um, this week that the police officer who evacuated her from her office during the January 6th Capitol riot actually endangered her and maybe even sympathize with efforts to do her harm. After all, Ocasio-Cortez explained Monday during an Instagram live stream, the officer allegedly looked at her with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And then the um, article in tongue-in-cheek fashion says, an airtight case. Ocasio-Cortez claims she heard loud bangs on her office during the riot like someone was trying to break in, uh, break the door down. She claims she went to hide in the bathroom, at which point she heard someone enter her office and say, where is she? This is the moment I thought everything was over, said Ocasio-Cortez. I thought I was going to die. I really just felt like if this is the plan for me, then people will have to take it from here. She then revealed to her social media followers that the person who entered her office was not a rioter, but a Capitol Hill police officer who instructed her to go to a different office building for her safety. But things weren't adding up, Ocasio-Cortez speculated. Like, she said there was no partner there. There was no one yelling. He wasn't yelling like, this is Capitol Police. This is Capitol Police. And he was looking at me, all this anger and hostility. Um, Ocasio-Cortez claims the officer's hostility specifically made her fearful. Um, so she goes on to... Um, lobbing, as the article says, these serious allegations of wrongdoing, but has nothing um, on her side to back them up. And what's what's interesting about this is if you're on the left, you can make all sorts of crazy claims. Um, but if the media in cahoots with you does not ask some simple questions, some glaring questions, or care to identify because they could find out in a second who that police officer was. Um, then Ocasio-Cortez can go on to demagogue and put police all in one category. And as she asserts, uh, Ted Cruz tried to murder her. Um, you can say these things 
And there are no fact checkers that do a cursory amount of research to say, is anything that AOC is saying steeped in any degree of fact? So these fact checkers, ladies and gentlemen, are selective in their nature of fact checking. So if someone on quote unquote your side wants to put forth a bunch of bogus crap and you do not engage in fact checking or if you are tapped on the shoulder by Joe Biden and you are the the new reality police, fact checking police, whatever you want to call it, and you decide to not investigate thoroughly the assertions of someone or if the facts that they are purporting are actually true, then that is your business to do that. But on the other hand, um, if somebody is of a political persuasion that you don't happen to like, not only will you uh, engage on selective fact checking of that individual, but you will simply make it up in order to destroy that individual. That is not free speech. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that is not the role of our media in this country. Um, and when it gets to this point, the differences between us and the garden variety third world banana Republic are not too glaring. So, um, we have selective, uh, fact-checking if uh, in the form of no fact-checking when AOC asserts that something was not smelling right when she was escorted out of her office on January the 6th. Uh, The last article that I wanted to kind of conclude with kind of puts it all in perspective. Um, This uh, much of this that is going on is an urban phenomenon Uh, the power centers in this country, Washington, New York, L.A. Have always had and will always have disdain for what they term middle America and heretofore the mantra of Democrats, either rightly or wrongly is, was, and still is, we are for the little people. We are not for big corporations. We are not for the big guy that has a big house and a big car up on the hill, regardless of how he made his millions, either um, uh, illegally or through hard work. We are not for that guy. We are for the little guy, the little gal, the person on the assembly line, the person with grease under their fingernails, the person that didn't go to college. We are for you. And that has been a crock since time immemorial. And it it is um it took Donald Trump to ignite a fire under many of those individuals um throughout this country that he basically said, hey, look up, has your life improved at all under democratic rule or by voting for Democrats each and every election cycle? And if it hasn't, give me a try. And the numbers bear out in 2016 and even more so in 2020 that, um, and we've discussed this on the show numerous times, 70% of our populace does not have uh, a bachelor's degree. 
uh, from from a college. Okay, those individuals heretofore largely voted um, uh, for uh, Democrats, although they did vote for Republicans. But Republicans took an an enormous chunk out of that uh, demographic, if you will. Uh, black people and Hispanic people historically, um, uh, in in huge numbers, voted for Democrats, but. The similarity between Hispanics, African-Americans, and blue-collar workers, many of which were all one and the same, was this. They looked up one day, and Donald Trump, I, I contend, was the catalyst for this, and just said, you know, this party hasn't done anything for me. And not only have they not done anything for me, they have worked against me. And... Um, this is not only Donald Trump saying that and Donald Trump's numbers um, bearing that out. Uh, where you will find the truth, since we're talking about the truth today, is um, also in the Democrat Party. This article is longest serving woman in Congress says she feels increasingly alienated in the Democratic Party. The longest serving woman in Congress, Representative Marcy Kaptur, told The Hill on a recent interview that she struggles with a growing sense of alienation within the Democratic Party, and she fights for the interests of her largely working-class Midwest constituents while the Democrat Party is increasingly dominated by representatives from wealthy, often coastal districts. Now, this article is in the Epoch Times, which... I get a lot of truth from the Epoch Times. You're not going to hear or see an article like this in the New York Times uh, because this is truth. Um, This lie that the Democrat Party is for the little guy and the champion of the little guy has always been a crock. And this congresswoman uh, is exposing it for what it is. Um, This is really all you need to know since we're running out of time in this uh, edition of Reshaping America. Um, she says it's been very hard for regions like mine, which have had great economic attrition to get fair standing. In my opinion, Captor said, adding that as a Democrat who represents a working class district, she feels like a minority within her own party. Um, she says her colleagues on the Democrat side cannot understand a family that sticks together because that's what they have. Their loved ones are what they have. Their little town, their home, as humble as it is, is what they have. In an interview, Captor touched on congressional district data. Here's the money line in this article, ladies and gentlemen. She touched on congressional district data showing that 19 out of 20 of the nation's wealthiest districts are represented by Democrats. Let me say that one more time at the close of our show. 19 out of 20 of the nation's wealthiest districts are representative are represented by Democrats. So she is uh, literally woman without a country. And the uh, people in her um, uh, party that look like her, feel like her, represent the little people, if you will. I hate that term, but they use it, so I'm going to, are are dying out. They're either becoming Republicans or they're just not uh, uh, choosing to uh, run again or they're just, um, they're yeah, they're retiring. And so that party 
is indeed populated by um, slick, woke, 20 and 30-somethings that are highly educated and feel that they understand the world much better than you or I. So I thought I'd end the show with a little truth here, and I have done that. This is Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.